Well, can you think of anything that is bad before it is good? Maybe a tattoo. A tattoo is something maybe that is bad because it's painful, and hopefully, eventually, you like the outcome of the tattoo that you got. How about a cheeseburger? Maybe a cheeseburger. Uh, you know, big, juicy cheeseburger with bacon and cheese. It sounds delicious. Perhaps a cheeseburger is good before it's bad, so it's a little bit opposite there. Well, the very first thing that I think of something that is bad before it's good is childbirth. Now, I obviously know absolutely nothing of the pain of childbirth, but I've asked my wife, Aubrey, and she has assured me that the pain was worth it. At least most days, she will admit that the pain was worth it. And with our second child, uh, it was really interesting. With our second child, she, ha- she got an epidural to help with the pain, but it only worked on half of her body. Isn't that crazy? I didn't know that could happen. Worked on half her body. So she tells me that she was feeling pretty good on one half. And then the other half, not so much. She was not feeling very well on that half at all. Well, on that note, welcome to Element Church. My name is Andy Hazlett. I'm one of the associate pastors here at Element, honored today to share the message with you. Perhaps you are wondering, why in the world would I open up a message talking about childbirth? Well, because it is an example of something that is bad before it is good. Gospel means good news, and it is good news. We often talk about the good news of Jesus because Jesus, as the perfect son of God, he stepped into my place when he died on the cross, taking the punishment for my sin. And by placing my faith in him, I can have a right relationship With God, and that is good news. But that good news did not come without sacrifice and suffering. The big idea for the message today is this the good news couldn't be good until it was first bad. Now, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, I'm so glad that you're here. It's a perfect Sunday, I believe, because perhaps you've wondered why Christians place so much emphasis on Jesus and his death on the cross. Well, if you listen closely today, I believe the message will answer that question for you. We're in the middle of a seven-week series called Seven, and in this series, we're looking at the last seven statements of Jesus from the cross. If you knew that you were going to die in the next six hours, the last words that you say would be incredibly meaningful. Now, if you've missed any of the last three weeks, I I really encourage you to go on the church website, get caught up, because each of the last three weeks has been really powerful. In week one, we saw that as Jesus was being nailed to the cross, he prayed for his persecutors, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. In week two, we looked at Jesus speaking these words to the thief on the cross who made a confession of faith. He said, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. And then last week, week three, Jesus modeled what it means to care for others. He said to her, dear woman, here is your son, 
And he said to this disciple, here is your mother. And Pastor Jeff observed last week that the first three statements of Jesus from the cross focus on others. And today, with the fourth statement of Jesus on the cross, we're going to see a shift to the suffering that Jesus himself endured. The main scripture is really two scriptures today, but the first one is Matthew 27, verses 45 and 46. It says this, at noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. At about three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? This fourth statement of Jesus from the cross is an incredibly profound and meaningful statement. If there were ever a verse that I felt unqualified to preach on and explain, this would certainly be it. Volumes have been written on this verse and the implications of it. And though there are mysteries here that we cannot fully understand or comprehend, there's a lot that we can understand. And I, I want to say as well that in no way is this message intended to be fully comprehensive about everything that's happening here as Jesus takes our penalty of sin when he dies on the cross and is abandoned and forsaken of the Father. Like there, there's no way that this message can explain all of it, but we're gonna, we're gonna look at a lot of it and, and I think we're gonna have a greater understanding of this statement Jesus makes from the cross. For starters, this was not a flippant statement of Christ. None of them were. And especially this one, Jesus was quoting from the Old Testament, from Psalm 22. And so our main scripture today is two scriptures, Psalm 22 being the second one. Psalm 22 is known as a messianic psalm, which simply means that we have good reason to believe that Psalm 22 was prophetically looking forward and ultimately fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. King David wrote Psalm 22, and, and though some of the content in this psalm might, uh, might pertain to elements in David's life, there are details in this psalm that don't make any sense when applied to David. Most importantly, Jesus quotes from Psalm 22, and there are vivid details of the psalm that are only fulfilled in Jesus's death. Now, today, we only have time to look at the first five verses of the psalm, but you can consider the rest of Psalm 22 as extra credit reading. Psalm 22, verses one through five says this. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? There, that's exactly what Jesus quotes from the cross. Other translations, the word abandoned is translated forsaken, and we'll, we'll use both words today. He continues and says, why are you so far away when I groan for help? Every day I call to you, my God, but you do not answer. Every night I lift my voice, but I find no relief. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel, our ancestors trusted in you and you rescued them. They cried out to you and were saved. They trusted in you and were never disgraced. The good news, 
couldn't be, it couldn't be good until it was first bad. So the big question that we're going to ask and then answer in the message today is this. What do we learn from the suffering of Jesus? And number one is this. Our sin caused his suffering. Let's look back at Matthew 27, verse 45. Again, it says, At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. These are the darkest hours in all of human history. The moment when the Son of God took the penalty for the sins of humanity. All of creation was affected by this event. It's what the Old Testament prophet Isaiah was speaking of hundreds of years before it actually happened. We read it in Isaiah 53, verses four and five. Isaiah said, yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. Not only does the Old Testament point ahead to this moment, but the the writers of the New Testament, they point back to this moment when Christ took the punishment that we deserve. The Apostle Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He says, For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Then he says in his letter to the Galatians in chapter three, first part of verse 13, but Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. Pastor Don Stewart does a phenomenal job of explaining the reality of what's going on here. I want to share with you what he says. He says this, the sinless son of God who had been from all eternity in an intimate relationship with his father is now spiritually separated from him When the sins of the world were put upon Jesus, there was for the first time a separation between the Father and the Son. The Father was placing the sins of the world upon the Son in order that everything in the universe that had been affected by sin could again be made right with God. Jesus was suffering the separation that we deserve In order for this to occur, the father had to forsake the son and punish him on our behalf. Simply put, our sin requires restitution. Jesus paid the debt that we owe. Now, bringing it down a notch a little bit here. How many of you have ever said something stupid that you had to later apologize for? Anybody do that before? Like probably all of our hands should be up in the air. It's probably we probably already did it sometime today. If we haven't already done it, we'll probably do it before the end of the day, I'm sure. Now, whether it is intentional or unintentional, we all are guilty of saying stupid things or doing stupid things that we later have to apologize for. Uh, it, that's just part of life, right? We have to do that. And 
I will admit, I've done this lots of times, and so I've, I've learned a couple things about apologizing, and here's something I've learned about um, apologizing. It's, it's this. An apology should never have a but that comes after the apology. And you, you're laughing because you know what I mean because you've done it before. It's, it's kind of when you apologize for something, you say, man, I'm really sorry, but I, but I did that because of X, Y, Z, Right? How does that feel when you receive an apology? It feels rather insincere, doesn't it? Because when we include a but after an apology, I'm basically justifying my behavior, whether it was something I said or did or whatever. So instead, when I need to apologize, we ought to just say, I'm sorry, please forgive me, and leave it at that, right? We just need to own it and admit the wrong that we've done. And when it comes to me and Jesus, until we can admit that we are sinners and that our sin and our rebellion put Jesus on the cross, we really don't have a reason to believe in Jesus for salvation. Now, we don't have time to fully dissect the doctrine of sin, but simply put, you and I were born into this world as sinners. We were. We were born into this world with a bent away from God, a bent toward rebellion against God. We call it inherited depravity or inherited sin. And to make matters worse, as we get older, we, we choose to sin and we choose to rebel against God. And this intentional disobedience of rebellion is called acquired depravity or acquired sin. And we cannot make it into heaven. And we cannot walk in a right relationship with a holy God unless that sin is dealt with. Unless it is paid for and atoned for. The debt that we owe was paid on our behalf. It was paid by Christ. And honestly, this is, the, this is the most simplistic definition of the word atonement I can possibly think of. He paid the debt that we owe. To admit my sin to God and ask his forgiveness is a sign of belief in itself. Because in that moment, I am agreeing with God's assessment of me that I'm a sinner and I've gone against his will. But friends, the good news that we're reminded of in 1 John 1, 9 is that if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all wickedness. The good news couldn't be good until it was first bad so what do we learn from the suffering of Jesus? Well, the first thing is that our sin caused his suffering. Second is this, abandonment deepened his suffering. Psalm 22 verses one and two say this. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away when I groan for help? Every day I call to you, my God, but you do not answer. Every night I lift my voice, but I find no relief. Now, typically, we focus on the gruesome physical torture that Christ experienced on the cross. And we should. As we draw near to Easter and Good Friday, 
it's appropriate for us to remember the horrific torture that Jesus willingly took to pay the penalty of our sin. But as you study this passage, you'll begin to understand that the spiritual separation happening here between God the Father and God the Son was a pain much worse than the physical pain of crucifixion. Frankly, it's a pain that we cannot even begin to comprehend. Commentator Albert Barnes describes it very well, I think, and he says this. We may suppose that he had patiently borne all other forms of trial, but the moment the thought strikes him that he is forsaken of God, he cries out in the bitterness of his soul under the pressure of anguish which is no longer to be borne. All other forms of suffering he could bear, all others he had borne, but this crushes him, overpowers him, is beyond all the soul can sustain. In some sense, he experienced what the sinner will himself experience when, for his own sins, he will be at last forsaken of God and abandoned to despair. We cannot comprehend the magnitude of suffering that Christ experienced when he was forsaken and abandoned by God. He did not cry out in anguish when he was flogged or nailed to the cross or when the crown of thorns was pressed into his skull, causing excruciating pain. Rather, he cries out in anguish at this point, forsaken and abandoned by the Father as he bears the sin of the world. Just a couple weeks ago, uh, my wife, Aubrey, was telling me about a podcast that she had recently listened to. And in this podcast, it was a husband and a wife that were, uh, that were talking about different things. And, and the husband began to describe a struggle that he had experienced in a battle he had experienced with pornography. And he was just wrecked by the whole thing. He knew it was sin. He didn't want it. He, he didn't want to be involved in it at all. And what struck me about this podcast, this story that was shared, was the seriousness and the lengths at which this man went to find freedom in this area in his life. And so consequently, he thought through all the different uh, arenas in which he had experienced temptation that led him to this addiction. And, and the primary issue was his internet access. And so he thought through a, a way to remove internet access from his life, uh, at least in the environments that he was experiencing temptation. And so a couple things he began to do, he, he stopped bringing his work computer home and he limited access to the internet. And then he got rid of his smartphone and he bought a flip phone. Like I don't even know those things existed anymore, but he bought a flip phone and he, he used it for a couple of years. And, and maybe that seems strange for me to share that with you, but, but I, I, it struck me because I thought that was such a great example of someone who is genuinely remorseful over their sin. He took his sin seriously. I mean, for one, he talked about it. 
He confessed it to other people that could help him, which is huge. It's absolutely huge because sin, especially an addiction like that, thrives in secrecy. It just thrives in secrecy. And so he admitted it. And then he thought through, I'm gonna do anything and everything I can to have victory in this area of my life. He, he took sin seriously. And here's a question for us. How should the depth of Christ's suffering, when forsaken and abandoned by the Father, affect me? Well, I, I think it should affect us in a number of different ways. There, there's probably a lot of application that can be made here. But the first two things that just jumped out to me is, is one, my attitude towards sin should change from one of flippancy to one of sorrow and anguish. And additionally, my sense of gratefulness for his sacrifice, the depth of his sacrifice that, man, we can't even hardly understand. My sense of gratefulness should rise to a new level. The good news couldn't be good until it was first bad. So what do we learn from the suffering of Jesus? Our sin caused his suffering. Secondly, abandonment deepened his suffering. And then lastly, number three is this. Faith held strong in his suffering. Psalm 22 verse three says this. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. See, never once while Jesus hung on the cross, taking the penalty that we deserve for sin, did he deny or curse the Father. And we've already seen in the previous three weeks how Jesus exhibited a heart to serve and love others in the midst of the gruesome realities of torture that he experienced. And now we're seeing his faith in God the Father hold strong. Jesus does not lose faith in the holiness of God in spite of the reality of being abandoned and forsaken at the worst moment that Jesus is experiencing on the cross, he does not abandon his faith in his God. He does not lose hope in his God. Now you may think, come on, this is Jesus we're talking about here. Of course he was able to have a faith like that in the midst of pain. But if we keep reading into the next couple of verses, we'll see a connection here that's made between the faith of Christ and the faith of the people of God. Psalm 22, verses four and five says this. Our ancestors trusted in you and you rescued them. They cried out to you and were saved. They trusted in you and were never disgraced. In other words, in the middle of their difficulty, they did not lose faith in the Lord. Their faith in the Lord was not foolish. God rescued them in their despair. Job, the Old Testament 
book and story of Job was one of those ancestors that perhaps David had in mind as he was writing these words down. Job was a man who was blameless and upright, a man who feared God and shunned evil. He lost everything. I mean everything, his health, his family, his wealth, his property, everything was gone. He was, he was experiencing hell on earth. Yet, even though he didn't understand why the Lord would allow him to go through such suffering, he didn't lose faith. Job 13, 15, he said this, God might kill me, but I have no other hope. I'm gonna argue my case with him. Church, as we've seen, the Lord Jesus in some mysterious way, experienced hell on earth in a way that we cannot begin to comprehend as he was abandoned and forsaken by the Father. Even so, his faith in the Lord held strong. Not long ago, a great man of God from our church, his name's Cliff, passed away from a several year battle with cancer. Some of you may even know Cliff. He served in our church for uh, as long as we've existed as a church. Nearly 12 years ago, uh, when my wife Aubrey and I moved here to Cheyenne, Cliff was one of the very first people that we, that we met. And, and over the you know, years that we've been serving here, got to know Cliff. He, he became a close friend and uh, a mentor of sorts. Just this, this guy that I really looked up to and uh, had so much respect for. Well, about a week before Cliff passed away, a um, couple of us went up to the hospital and uh, we visited with Cliff and, and prayed with Cliff. And at that point, he and his family were unsure of whether he, would, um, whether he was gonna pull through or whether he was gonna pass away. He was in a lot of pain. It was, it was obviously difficult. And I asked Cliff, just right before we prayed, I just asked Cliff a very simple question. I said, Cliff, how do you want us to pray for you? And he thought about it for a little while. And the very first thing he said was that, uh, he said, don't feel bad for me. He said, I get, I get to get to heaven before you guys do. I'm gonna be fine. You know, and it was kind of a classic Cliff <laughs> kind of statement. And he actually joked about how he, he said, you know, I don't think I'm gonna, I'm not gonna be able to make it to serve on the usher team tomorrow. And, uh, he, and he was joking, of course. And I, I said, well, you know, Cliff, you've got three strikes. So I guess this is your first one, man. So, anyways. He thought about it a little bit more. And he said, you know, pray for my family because they're gonna, this is gonna be difficult for them. And it was, it is. But the last thing he said to me before we prayed that day was, he said, pray that I would have courage as I face death. Man, did that have a profound effect on me. Pray that I would have courage as I face death. I guess what, what was so powerful to me about that statement is I, I knew this man. I knew him well. I knew that his faith was genuine, was real. But I also knew he, didn't, he wasn't like 
excited to die, you know? I knew that his pain was real. I knew that his suffering was a reality. But that statement from Cliff, it was so powerful to me because it spoke of a deep-seated trust that this man had in his God. So challenging to me. You see, the, the suffering of Christ, it provides for our forgiveness, but it doesn't stop there. It also provides an unshakable faith. And for some of you, perhaps, perhaps you simply needed a reminder today of the kind of faith the Lord Jesus does indeed provide. And for others, maybe you realize that you've never genuinely trusted in Jesus for salvation. Not just believing that Jesus existed, but surrendering to him as Lord and Savior of your life. You see, the good news couldn't be good until it was first bad. So what do we learn from the suffering of Jesus? Well, our sin caused his suffering. Abandonment deepened his suffering. And lastly, faith held strong in his suffering. I want to take a few moments and just ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me. The band is going to come out and in a few moments they're going to lead us in worship and in communion together as well. See, the message of Jesus is good news. As a result of the suffering Jesus endured on the cross for the sins of the world, we can be brought into a right relationship with God. Jesus paid the debt we could not pay. And by believing in Jesus as Lord and repenting sincerely of our sin that put him on the cross, the righteousness of Jesus can be credited to you. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, or perhaps you've strayed away from following Jesus, during communion is a perfect time for you to pray the prayer of salvation. Before you eat the bread and drink the juice, you can, you can tell God in prayer, Jesus, I believe that you are God. You can ask Jesus to forgive you of your sin and your rebellion, and you can commit to following Jesus in every area of your life. And we're promised in Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And I just, I have a sense that today there, there are some in the room that maybe you've never genuinely prayed that prayer of salvation, that prayer of repentance, belief, and commitment to following him. And then maybe there are some of you that, and maybe you prayed that long ago, you're not sure if you meant it back then or not, but you know that you're not following Jesus now. And so maybe it's not the first time you need to pray that prayer, but maybe you, you definitely need to pray a, a genuine prayer of recommitment to Christ. And I just wanna give you the opportunity right now with, with everybody's head bowed, eyes closed, if that's you and you wanna pray to receive Jesus before you take communion today. 
whether it's the first time you've ever prayed it or whether it's a, a recommitment to Christ you know you need to make, would you just slip up your hand saying, hey, that's me. I need to pray that today. Good for you. Praise the Lord. Thank you. For those of you that already believe in Jesus, let us be reminded today as we eat the bread and drink the juice of the depth of suffering that Christ experienced when he was abandoned and forsaken by the Father. And may we be filled with the unshakable faith that he provides. You do not have to be a member of Element Church to receive communion. We just ask that you be in a right relationship with God. In just a moment, the band is gonna play. The ushers will come forward and they'll pass a tray with the elements of communion down each row. And if you are participating in communion, you can grab a cup of juice and a piece of bread. And whenever you're ready, as the band plays, you can drink the cup of juice and eat the piece of bread, remembering what Christ has done for you. We're gonna pray together, and then we will participate in communion. And we've got a couple more songs after that as well to worship together with. Lord Jesus, thank you for the depth of suffering that you endured for me. I know I don't deserve it. I cannot hardly comprehend it. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Help us to trust in you. We pray this in your good name. Amen.